the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. If you have your Bibles today, I know you'd like to follow along because there's so many wonderful truths I'd like to show you in it to answer a very important question that some people often ask, especially when you're debating about Christianity in various religious circles. And the topic we want to talk about is, you know, what is our responsibility to those who don't know Christ? Why do we care so much about those who do not know the Lord as their Savior? And I'd like to answer that by going through our passage of Scripture today. I know that maybe when you're out and you're fellowshipping with people that are not Christian and you get into that conversation and they want to know why you Christians want to really take that message outside your own little confine of your sanctuary. Why do you want other people to believe what you believe? And you begin to get into it and pretty soon it could be a conflicted conversation. And I I hope it wouldn't be that way, but at the same time I hope that you'll stand for truth and share that wonderful message with them and how important that really is. For, for the folks that are listening to me today, I could almost put you into two camps. I believe the Lord does. There would be the camp that says, he that has the Son hath life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. And that way, that means that there are those that already know they're going to heaven. This message today is predominantly designed for those who already know that you're going to heaven. So it's for us to learn what God wants us to do to demonstrate our care for other people because we love the Lord so much. But on the other side, for those of you that have not come to faith in Christ yet, you are investigating it, you're in a journey of discovering of who he is and what he's all about and all this thing about Christianity, I'd like you to know that this is still about you too because we want you to know the person that means everything to us, Jesus Christ. And what we want to learn from Scripture is how we can come alongside you and that you can have what the Bible would say, eternal life, and have a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. So in a sense, it is about you. Now let me make some things clear by clearing up some misconceptions. For many years, probably for hundreds of years, there were a lot of Christians that they would hear the term, I'm a Christian, I need to be a soul winner, I need to win people to Christ, I need to bring them to Christ, and I need to save them from hell, and terms like that. Those are common terms, often more heard continually even in the Bible Belt of America, and I'm not marginalizing that, but it's a phrase or phrases that are used over and over again. But if we take what Scripture has to say, when we share that message of salvation by faith alone in Christ to a lost person, it's not to merely save them from hell or maybe we could say to give them fire insurance. It's far more than that. Yeah, that's part of it that you don't spend eternity condemned away from God. But it's far more this. 
that you would be able to worship the only God, the Lord Jesus Christ, forever and ever, and to enjoy Him in a state of continual pleasure and praise for the, to the Lord forever. And so we don't want to just get them saved so they don't go to hell. We want them to enjoy what it means to truly abide in Christ now, to have Christ in their life now, to have an eternal life relationship with Christ forever and ever, to bring glory and honor unto Him. So that salvation now doesn't mean that man is at the center of salvation, but that Jesus Christ is at the center of salvation. So while I'll be speaking on whatever minutes I might have left this morning, I don't want you to merely translate that into, I just want us to go around to keep people from going to hell. I think a greater byproduct of worshiping the Lord forever and ever means that we are saved from hell, but that's not the goal, is to just save us from hell. So when you hear saving, it's saving from ourselves, saving from eternity, separated from God, but it's also saving us so that we can worship the Lord forever and ever and ever. And if you pick that up, then I think you'll be more positively motivated to do what you want to do to reach people for Jesus Christ. And you won't end with just, okay, that guy got saved, I'll move on to the next one, that there's a lot more involved in that. Not that uh, he needs to do more to have that relationship, but he needs to understand more so he can enjoy the relationship that he has and to develop that. Now, when we talk about this, you'll notice that um, when we begin to talk to those that don't know Christ as Savior, you're going to hear people now push back, and they're going to say, you know, that's the trouble with you Christians. You just have a massive problem with being bigots. You think you're the only ones that are right, that you have the problem with the rest of the world. And it boils down to, number one, Christians really do believe, not that we're so much better at all, not that we're bigots, but we do believe what Jesus Christ said. He said, out of all the religions of all time and all the belief systems, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the issue is that Christianity does provide the only way to have an eternal relationship with Christ in a home in heaven. The second is, is that Christians then are told not just to enjoy that for themselves, but they are to go into all the world and to share that message. Now, part of the problem with the world and their worldview of that is they say, if you want to go after people that have no religion, have no belief system, you know, go ahead and have at it. But why don't you leave the rest of the people that have their belief system in place? Why do you even go after them to share that message with them? And you can go all in your mind to the different belief systems, whether it's Buddhism or Islam or Hindu or whatever, and those people are somewhat satisfied with their belief system. It is because the Bible says that maybe they have some degree of satisfaction with them, but inside of them is still a hole, a God-shaped vacuum that's inside of them that they're trying to fill up with something that will never quench that vacuum, that will never fill that vacuum, other than the person of Jesus Christ and especially what he's done for them on the cross. And so we want to get that message out. So now you look at Christianity for the last 2,000 years particularly, and you might ask the question then, why in the world have you spent so much money, millions of dollars every year going into the world? Why are you doing this? Why are you going? Why are you sending? Why are you praying? Why are you giving? It's because we want people not just to not go to hell. We want them to have that wonderful, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ now and forevermore. And once they have that, their life begins to change. They understand Scripture a lot better. And then again, we become a greater witness to those who are around us. And that's what we want to do. Now, the passage I'm going to be covering today, I'm using six responses to that same one question. Why do we care about those who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior? What I don't want to do is to give you an improper balance of this. While I'm going to give you six answers to that, I don't want you to think these are the only answers to this question. If we went through Scripture from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, we'll find a whole lot more than just those six. 
And some even might have a greater emphasis, or we might say a greater motivator in our life that really motivates us, scratches us where we itch to be motivated to take the precious gospel message to all the world right around us. So I hope that as I give you these six reasons why we care about those who don't know Christ, that in those six, that maybe all of them will, but I hope that at least one of them will help you to maybe come alongside those who don't know Christ as Savior and with a little bit more assertiveness, not aggression, but a little bit more assertiveness, a little bit more purpose to help them begin their journey of discovering Christ and maybe even like we prayed about, bring them over the line so they would become a Christian. So with that in mind, I hope you brought your Bible. So turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And I'm going to give you these six and hope that maybe through them we can learn some principles here of why we should care about those who never heard about Christ. Let me read to you verse 12 and 13, and then I'll give you the point here. It says in verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile or Greek. And when we see Greek in there, it's really referring to everyone who's not Jewish and who is not a believer in Christ. It goes on to say, For the same Lord is the Lord of all, of all the groups, the Jewish people, the Gentile people and Christians. He is already Lord. I don't have to make him Lord. That phrase that says if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all, is not biblical. It's often used. It sounds real good. sounds real cute. And if you kind of define it biblically, you might be able to get it out of there. But the blanket statement itself is not a biblical statement. He is already Lord of all, no distinction whether we make him Lord or not. It goes on to say, abounding in riches... For all who, then it qualifies now. Who gets this abundance of riches? It says, for all who call on him. So while he's Lord of all, whether or not we make him Lord or not is not the issue. Now he becomes our Savior, our Lord personally in us when we call upon him. Then it says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord. Now the question, whoever, who might that be? Well, if I kept it in context, since it says there's no distinction, that would mean there's no distinction in this context, whether you're a Jewish person, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you're a Gentile and you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. There's no distinction from an ethnicity background. Now, if you want to broaden that, there's no distinction between male and female, Rich or poor, scripture would even say bond or free, those that are slaved and those that are not slaves. It doesn't matter, whoever you are. Now stay with me a little bit, especially you that are guests. I spent a great deal of time in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 when I began this series on talking about this is the sovereignty of God section of scripture. Primarily chapter 9 deals with God is sovereign and he knows who will be saved, who will not be saved, and salvation is of the Lord. So that part of that person getting saved is really all of the Lord, although the person does need to believe. But God really knows. We'll call that the elect. Now we're into Romans chapter 10 and there's a greater emphasis on the human responsibility. So now you see this tension between God's sovereignty and man's free will. God's sovereignty and yet man still needs to make a decision on it. So here it says, whoever, yet God knows who that will. Now when you look back over the missionaries as they began to launch out into missions to take that message everywhere, if you went back and to find out what was their theological base, they were heavy in the Calvinistic belief system. They were heavy into believing that God selects this person for heaven and all that. And you would think, well, shouldn't that deaden their responsibility to give the gospel? 
No, because they also knew the other side of that coin, which was the responsibility that first, we don't know who's going to be saved. Secondly, we are told to go to all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. And thirdly, they'll never trust Christ unless they do believe in Christ. So I need to go out there so that they would hear that message. And only God knows those who will be saved, those who will be his children, uh, First Timothy and others. So again, we give out the gospel. We don't know who will be saved, but we stay there until the very end to make sure we're doing what we can to reach them for Christ. And that's this passage. Now stay with me again. It says, on the name of Jesus Christ. Out of all the names of all the gods, there was only one name that was a name that actually could save a person for eternity. And you'll notice that we could have said the name of God, G-O-D, but it's not calling upon just God. Oh, God, save me. It's Jehovah, Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitals, is letting us know in the original languages, the copies of it, that it's referring to the part of God or that dynamic of God. I mean, not part is a good word. The dynamic of God that would be his saviorship. So now what we're doing is we're not calling on any name. We're calling on the name of Jehovah, God, who will save me from my sins. And it could also refer back to the Messiah, which is important because the word Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital, would be very much known to the Jewish people because you just read your Psalms and you're going to see how it's found in there with all capitals. Referring again to Jehovah Yasha, God who saves, who is the Savior. And I like that. It says, will be saved. Not hopefully be saved, may be saved, but it's a promise. You will be saved. Go back to the verse again. It doesn't say whoever behaves. It doesn't say whoever be good. It doesn't say whoever believes and be good. It says whoever believes on the name of the Lord, whoever calls upon his name. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Let me pause now and give you some illustrations of people who really took this passage knowing that there was no limitations on where they were to go and there were no exceptions on who would hear the gospel. That we don't have the choice to marginalize people that need to hear the gospel. If I took you back to scripture, you're going to find you have Peter and Paul. All right, Paul was called to the Gentile people. Peter was called to the Jewish people. Even though they were called to different people groups, no people group was left out. So even though Paul was called to the Gentile people, it also said to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So wherever he was around, he was mentioning the name of Christ wherever he went. Now, called prim primarily to circulate around Jewish people groups, but wherever he was, whoever was present, he would be giving the gospel. You have Peter called to the Jews, but even when he was around the Gentiles, he would be one sharing the gospel. So where does that leave you and me? You may be called to work with children or youth or adults or seniors. You may be called to serve here or in a distant land. Wherever we are, it is always open season on anyone who has not called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. So there's no limitations, no exceptions that we need to give the gospel. Now that tells me, how good has Christianity been doing this over the last 2,000 years? Wouldn't you think that a message that says you don't have to be good, you don't have to burn incense, you don't have to do certain things, you don't have to face a certain city and pray three times a day, you don't have to give this up or start this or stop that. All you've got to do is in your heart, wherever you are, momentarily trust Christ as your Savior. Don't you think a simple message of grace like that would just, like a wildfire, spread over the globe and there'd be Christians everywhere, authentic Christians everywhere. Wouldn't you think that? And that that's not the case. We are still having trouble. Now, if there was ever a good, valid reason to believe in Satan, I think it would be because of this very thing. 
Because there is an unseen force that does not want anyone to give any glory, any praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Satan now is going to do what he can to humanity to mess up their thinking, to goof up their belief systems so that whatever they want to believe in, they're going to believe that to be truth and it's not. So they don't have to come to Christ and call upon the name of the Lord Jehovah to be their savior. And that's why we keep pushing and the world just keeps going further and further away from the gospel no matter how long we stay in it. But now you might say, boy, Stan, that sounds like a big fatalistic thing. Why, why would we ever do it? Well, because Jesus Christ said it, we keep doing it. Do you know, as I look at these missionaries, the early missionaries, people like Adoniram Judson, he goes into Burma, which is now Myanmar. He was the first one to bring the gospel into that country. And while he was there, it was over six years before he ever got his first convert. And yet he was jailed under persecution in a pig pen that they used as a prison and his wife had to steal in and sneak in food to him so he would stay alive. And one time he asked for his Bible and his wife wrapped up the Bible in a pillow kind of thing and slid that to him so he had a pillow there, which they thought, but in reality it was his Bible so he had something to read for six years before he ever had his convert. I'm reminded of a man by the name of Cameron who went to Guatemala many, many, many decades ago. And while he was there, he kind of got into a people group that did not know Spanish but had their own little dialect. So the best he could do was speak to them in English, which they didn't understand, and he gave them a little Spanish Bible. When he did, the person who received the Bible said, I cannot read, I can speak a little Spanish, but I don't know a little Spanish. And with a little bit of sign language, he got this across to Cameron. He said this, he says, if your God is so great... Why can't he speak my language? This man Cameron thought about that. It was the greatest challenge he'd ever heard. And from that challenge became a dream. And the dream turned into a vision. And the vision turned into, I believe, arguably, is the greatest missionary Bible translation organization in the entire world called the Wycliffe Bible Translators. This last Sunday afternoon and evening, I had the joy of being over at one of our church family's homes. They invited us over, and we had some fellowship. And while we were in the backyard cooking burgers, I was being told about a a missionary couple that came through here for just eight hours. The family from the church picked them up at the airport, kind of wined and dined them, so to speak, in Hawaiian way, gave them a lot of aloha. And during that time, we found out that this couple has spent four years in the deepest, darkest, most remote part of a country that is really kind of still dark with the gospel that many people would wonder, can they ever really be saved? Papua New Guinea. You would fly hours to get there. Then you get a little boat and you have to go hours in the boat. Then you have to walk down this trail only to get around about 150 people. They've been there four years and during the four years through sign language and a lot of hard work, they finally have learned the language of the people, let alone be able to give them the gospel and the whole concept. They can't even read. They can't write. They've just designed a piece of paper with symbols on it because the symbols themselves, if you showed them an arrow going upward, you and I know what an arrow looked like. Those people, all they see is black on white and all this stuff. It's like a Picasso painting to them. They have nothing. They don't understand what is going on here. They have to go all the way back to the very beginning. For 150 to 300 people. And that group is going to keep procreating. There's going to be babies out of that group. And the old people are going to die. And the new babies are going to be there. And they're going to keep on going until maybe that little tribe fizzles out. The sad part about it is it's going to take so long to get them that message because they do believe, no exceptions, no limitations, whoever believes, they need to have the gospel, and they're going to give it to them. That couple will never see their name probably in any major newspaper. There'll never be a movie made about them. There'll be nothing famous about them. They might even die on the field through dysentery, but one thing that they will die with is a smile on their face as they followed God's calling to go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
Now, I don't know all of you. I know many of you, but not all of you that are listening to me. But I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will take the word of God into all of our hearts, that we would see that the gospel needs to go from Plymouth Rock to Diamond Head, that it needs to go from Cocoa Head to Eva Beach. It needs to go from uh, the Big Island to Kauai. It needs to go from one time zone to the next time zone. And no people group should be left out of hearing the gospel because this passage says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But it doesn't just stop there. I'm thinking of some of you that are older, and I'm older too. I'm thinking of our age and how much energy, how much health, how much future do we might have in our own life to be able to do that. I can't help but remember people like Billy Graham who feebly would look to a crowd of the remnant there after Katrina hit New Orleans and he goes to that group and he simply says, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he died on the cross and if you'd believe in him, you could have everlasting life. As frail as Billy Graham is, as um, much as he can, he's going to present the gospel to those people, to anybody he can come in contact with. And who could ever forget a friend of all of ours named Jim Cook, a missionary himself who now is in his 80s, who still crisscrosses America from Colorado to Minnesota to California to Hawaii to India, still spreading the gospel long after he resigned from his pastorate at 65 in San Jose, California. Why? Because they do not believe that the word retire fits a Christian. Maybe redirect, but never retire. Because everyone needs to hear the gospel. So we simply say, because God made salvation accessible, universally available to everyone. And I I pray that our church would continue to do that. My prayer is not only for our missionaries. My prayer is that God would ignite some of you second milers to catch the vision to take the gospel. Whatever part of the world it'll be. It might, like I say, just be from Diamond Head to Eva Beach. But you'll reach your world for Christ. Well, here's the second, and it's found in the next verse, verse 14. It's interesting, this verse says, and you've read it many times, you probably have it underlined if you've been a Christian a long time. It says, how then, Paul's asking, will they call on Christ in whom they have not believed? Well, you're probably going to say they they, they can't. Well, how will they believe in him if they have not heard? That's right, they got to hear. And how will they hear without a preacher? That's right, someone, they've got to have the message given to them in some way. So if you want to revert that verse, you could look at it this way. First comes the preaching, then comes the hearing, then comes the believing, and then comes the calling. Now, some of you, when you hear that and you read that, you pick up on the word without a preacher, without preaching. When you think of that, you think of, and I would too if I was kind of new in this, that it means a guy behind a pulpit or a gal behind a podium that in some measure is going to message people with the gospel. Technically, that word merely means nothing more than to herald. Now, if we took that word herald in the original language, it just mainly meant that there was a big king out here. He wanted to get into that community information, so he would send a messenger to that community. He would come into the community, stand up on something so that everybody could see him. He would make a big noise. so Everybody would say, oh, the messenger from the king is here. He would be called a herald. And you've probably seen it in some of the Shakespeare movies. And everybody would come. And then all he would have to do was to give the message. Now watch this. The message had to be exactly what the king wanted the people to hear. He couldn't muddy it. He couldn't mistake it. He had to make it clear when he presented that message. So whether you have a podium or whether you're at some uh, coffee shop and you've got a, a table in front of you, you could present the gospel. When we were in, in China, I gave the gospel 
Every time I had a public audience and some when I had a private audience, which wasn't very much because we were going from one public group to the next public group, that was heralding the gospel. You've got Adam and his wife and Pono going. I doubt seriously that they'll ever be behind a podium in a classroom to equip people with the message or behind a, 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 a pulpit to be able to herald the message of salvation in front of thousands of people. But they will be heralding the message with people that are around them, giving them that simple message of the gospel. And so when you hear the word preach, I want you to hear the word just communicating the word. Now, in this passage we're covering this morning, you're going to hear the word hear and preach. So it sounds like audible words. I want you to know that in their day, they didn't have a lot of written information. So preaching and speaking was a big part of it. So I don't never want to minimize it. I want to maximize it. But I don't want to exclusively say it's only verbal words that we hear. It can be done in written fashion. The idea is a communication of the message of truth and how precious that really is for you and me. And so as I look at those men and women and I look at those that are going out now to share the gospel, how important that is because God understands how important it is for us to give out the gospel. These people understand it and they understand it that nobody should be neglected from hearing the gospel. There's a missionary by the name of William Carey. He's called the father of modern missions. He had a couple of great lines, but my favorite line is this. He said, no one ought to hear the gospel twice until everyone in the world has heard the gospel once. Isn't that a great line? doesn't mean everybody will get saved, but it does mean that they all need to hear the gospel. Well, let's go now uh, to the next point here. I, I think maybe you got that idea. So why should everybody hear that precious message of salvation? Well, they need to hear it. And they need to have consistent preaching of the gospel in order to do that. But let's go to number three. It says, how will they preach unless they're sent? So even before preaching, you have the sending part. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news or good tidings. When I read that good news, I kind of remembered the, the wonderful phrase that we often give at Christmas time where it says, today in the city of David is born unto you a Savior. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.